Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Oh, please be seated. Good morning. I wonder how many of you grew up watching the 60s TV series Mission Impossible. Or maybe you've seen the newer Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise. When I was a kid growing up in England in the 80s, there were no Mission Impossible movies. Those came out in the mid-90s and they still keep coming out. But we did have reruns of that first TV show and I loved watching these. For those of you who are unfamiliar with them, the show's based around a man called Jim Phelps. And he's the head of a super secret government agency, the IMF not to be confused with the International Monetary Fund, which would be a really boring TV series, <laughs> but rather the Impossible Missions Force. So Phelps is, each time that, uh, each uh, episode, Phelps is given a secret, anonymous, covert mission to attempt. Usually it relies on some high-tech equipment and elaborate deceptions. And the trademark way this mission is delivered is never person to person, but via a cassette tape hidden in some discreet location. You can tell the age of this show by the fact that it was a cassette tape and that was considered high-tech equipment. And it would always end with these words, though. Your mission, Jim, should you choose to accept it, insert impossible mission, as always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in Five seconds, And of course, the tape would then start to smolder and the cassette would self-destruct. And then Jim would go about picking his team of elite agents and they'd attempt to complete this impossible mission. Well, although the plot was fairly formulaic, like a lot of TV shows, it would suck me in every week because of this basic premise that the mission was impossible. How on earth were they going to achieve this mission this week? But every week, somehow, the team pulled it off. And they would walk away without anyone knowing that they had been involved. Well, today as we continue our series titled The Call of God, we come to the Great Commission. And Jesus called to his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And I think that for many of us, this seems like mission impossible when we hear that. And I've often heard people mistakenly suggest that there are in fact two types of disciple. The special ones who have to complete this mission an elite force of secret agents, if you will, and then those who don't have to. They're the ones who just sit on the sidelines, perhaps tending to their own needs, turning inwards and not outwards, which is the same mistake that the Israelites made with the call of God that was given to them to be a blessing to the nations that we heard read in our Old Testament reading today by Frank. You see, by the time of Jesus, they had turned inwards rather than outwards towards the world that so desperately needed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this isn't how the Great Commission is to be read. And it's not how the majority of the church over the last 2,000 years has interpreted this passage. And it's not what the full corpus of Scripture, the whole body of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation points to as the right interpretation. No, God's people are clearly called throughout Scripture to go to the lost and to make disciples. Christian people are a people on a mission. Let's turn to our scripture readings for today and listen to what God's saying to those who have ears to hear. So far in this series, we've seen how we are, first of all, called into a relationship with the God who loves us. He loves us. He wants to be our best friend. And then he calls us to follow Jesus, to listen and to obey him. 
And then we are called to go and catch others, to bring them in. And then last week, we heard that we're called to yield to Jesus' authority in our lives. And each week, there have been next steps that we've been encouraged to take. And this is the theme of 2021 here at Holy Cross, asking what is the next step that God might be calling each one of us to take. You see, it is so easy to get stuck. We get stuck, especially after a year like 2020, a year where our lives have been turned upside down. And sometimes all we feel we're doing is just holding on for dear life, hoping we're going to make it through this thing. But the God of the universe, the one who made us and who loves us and who knows us better than anyone else, wants us to move forwards, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus, as the Apostle Paul puts it. And so today, we come to the Great Commission, Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven to be with his Father. And final words of anyone are usually important, and these are exceptionally important. So he's giving them their mission. And it must have sounded like mission impossible to them, especially when you consider that he's about to leave them. He's been with them for three years, guiding them, shepherding them, and now he gives them this commission as he's leaving. They're going to have to do this on on their own. Well, in Matthew 28, we read this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been handed over to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you may not know this, but there are actually five different accounts of um, the Great Commission. Matthew has one, Mark has one, Luke has one, John has one, and then Luke actually repeats it in the Acts of the Apostles, which is the sequel to the Gospels. And I think to get the full picture, it's worth hearing what the kids would call a mashup of all five accounts, all right? You know that term, like you mash a few songs together, perhaps, or something like that? Here's a mashup of those five accounts. Then Jesus came to them and said, Peace be with you. All authority in heaven and earth has been handed over to me. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go, therefore, into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison... It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Much like reading five different accounts of a news story of the same event, perhaps you took the Washington Post, the New York Times, maybe the Post and Courier, a couple of online sources or cable networks, and you 
you get a much fuller picture of an event when you do that, okay? And so we get that from reading all five accounts of these put together and we, in this final encounter between Jesus and his disciples. And we see that there's this call to witness for Jesus. There's this call to proclaim the gospel, a call to baptize those who respond and who are repentant of their sins, a call to teach the things that Jesus taught, and a calling for obedience to Jesus in every area of life and then a call to heal the sick and cast out demons. And all of this is done in the power of the Spirit. But the clear, overarching theme, I believe, is a call to go. It's to go. To go into all the world and make disciples. You just can't escape it. This is their mission, and this is our mission too. It's our mission because, guess what? They went out into the world. They taught disciples, or they raised up disciples, teaching them what Jesus commanded. And guess what Jesus commanded? Well, he commanded to go and make disciples. And so those disciples went and made disciples, teaching them to obey that they're to make disciples and so on, you see? So we too are commanded to make disciples. It's our mission. Now, the word mission actually comes from the Latin word for sending. So it means to be sent. Again, the idea of going, sent out. And as the pastor Rick Warren puts it, once we are his, God uses us to reach others. He saves us and sends us out. The Bible says we have been sent to speak for Christ. We are the messengers of God's love and purposes to the world. Or as Archbishop William Temple said, and we heard this a few weeks ago, of the disciple Philip, when he's called by Jesus, as soon as he becomes a disciple, Philip also becomes a missionary. That is the only true discipleship. At Holy Cross, we believe this to be true because we believe God's word to be true. Disciples are people sent on a mission. And so we talk about the three goes of discipleship. We are to go home, to go out, and to go off. Repeat after me. Go home. Go out. Go off. Let's say it together. Go home. Go out. Go off. That's what we're called to do. But what does that mean? Well, let's begin with going home. The disciples are told to go into all the world, right? They're told to go to all the nations. But they're to begin where they are, which happens to be Jerusalem. Luke records Jesus as saying they are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem first. And this is where our mission begins too, where we are. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses tells the Israelites the greatest commandment. We hear at the beginning of um, the service each week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But then he explains the first place to share this is in the home, the very next verse. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And this is echoed in Psalm 78, when the psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter hidden sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord, and his might, and the wonders he has done. Clearly, the call to share our faith begins in the home. It's with our family members first, through studying scripture together, praying together, worshiping together, serving together, and looking for the work of God in normal, everyday life. But home is broader than simply the family unit we may live with. It's the geographical territory that we call home, be it our street, our neighborhood, or our town. So for the Bennett family, that would be Cartwright Street in Etowan Park, 
on Daniel Island. This is home for us. This is our primary mission field. And you can think about what that would be for you. The place we're called to raise up disciples who love God and love others, beginning with our kids, but then also our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues, our fellow students, etc. And one day we'll be judged by God for how we did with this. Well, next, the disciples are called to go out, to go out to Judea and to Samaria. And this would be the region that was around Jerusalem. For us, we might think of the low country or maybe the state of South Carolina, places that we don't often go to, but we know are out there. Some that we like and some that we don't, often depending on the college teams that we follow or the sports affiliations we have, right? Well, for some of those first disciples, Judea would have sounded okay. They would have thought, well, that's where I'm from. It's my birthplace, maybe. And it's the land of the tribe of Judah, no less. But Samaria, well, that was a place that was hated. There was a rivalry going back 400 years, which centered around racial purity. Because while the Jews had kept their purity when they were in Babylonian captivity, the Samaritans had lost theirs by intermarrying with the Syrian invaders. So in the Jews' eyes, the Samaritans were compromising mongrels. Well, to add insult to injury, the Samaritans had built their own temple. They'd built one on Mount Gerizim, a rival to the temple in Jerusalem. And in fact, the Jews destroyed it in Maccabean times. So in Jesus' day, the hatred was utterly ingrained. But this was the call. And we know the first disciples obeyed because Luke records in Acts chapter 8 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed Christ there. And demons were cast out, the sick were healed, people were baptized, and then Peter and John join him and they pray for the Holy Spirit to descend on these new believers. And so the gospel spread further and people were saved and more disciples were made. And as they were called, so are we, to communities beyond our neighborhoods, whether it's Johns Island or Goose Creek or Somerville or Orangeburg or beyond. We are called out. Well, finally, we're called to go off. So we go home, we go out, and we go off. And this would be to the ends of the earth. This is where Jesus sends his disciples. Well, at that time, the Roman Empire, of which Israel was a part, was the ends of the earth. It was the known world. And it's believed that the 11 disciples actually went as far um, west as Spain and as far east as India. And they took this command seriously, and the majority of them died because of this. Well, in Charleston, we have this way of talking about people who are not from here, don't we? Or at least, more specifically, they're not born on the peninsula. We say that they are from off, right? They're from off. And so, in fact, most of us are probably from off, to be honest. But we've taken the phrase at Holy Cross and we have adapted it for the third place that we're called to go by Jesus. To go off is to leave our beloved low country and go to the ends of the earth. I think of short-term mission teams from Holy Cross going out to Honduras and Mexico, India, Haiti, Cuba, Pakistan, and so on. I think of a former student of mine at Holy Cross who got ordained as a priest and had a fairly comfortable job at a church in the South as an associate rector, but felt the call of God to go plant a church in Portland, New England, which is supposedly the least religious city in the United States. Or our own Sean and Kate Norris, leaving us to start the Dandelion Ministry on Long Island, a missional arts community for retreat, for sabbatical, and recovery of the skeptic and the wounded. Or my friends from Mount Pleasant, Jerry and Sharon Minor, supporting the planting of churches throughout Pakistan, with the vision of one day, get this, seeing Pakistan become a Christian nation. 
the big vision, friends. These are ordinary folks, though, like you and me. They've heard the call to go off, and they've obediently stepped out in faith, often at great personal expense to themselves and to their families. But they are having a profound impact for the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. The martyred missionary Jim Elliott once wrote this, Missionaries are very human folks just doing what they are asked, simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. Simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. What if God called you to do the same? Would you be willing? Or would you say, that's impossible, God. That is too difficult. The missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, once said, there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. See, nothing is impossible for God. And so no excuse, I'm afraid, is good enough for God. Well, as we come to a close, I wonder what you thought yesterday, uh, late last night, when the news broke of the U.S. team of scientists that had actually discovered the formula for COVID-19 vaccine about three years ago. They'd stumbled across it. They'd actually discovered COVID-19 in 2017 and given it a different name back then. And they were already mass producing millions and billions of doses of the vaccine in 2018 and 2019, stockpiling them in case this particular variant of the coronavirus would ever bring about a worldwide pandemic. But when the pandemic struck around this time last year and they could have shipped more than enough doses quickly around the world to bring an end to the pandemic, they simply sat on them. They became fearful that the vaccine wouldn't work and that people would turn on them and destroy them and their life's work. And so millions have died, economies have been shattered, and life across the globe has become a shell of what it once was. What a tragedy. Okay, so this story isn't true. Before you start Googling it on your phone, well, what? What did I miss? What did I miss? But could you imagine the outcry if it was? Could you imagine the outcry if it was true? I share it today as a modern-day parable of how the church, me included, often treats the gospel. We have the words of eternal life, friends, the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ that is on offer for all who repent and follow him. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the antidote for the poison of sin. We have the cure for the disease of death, the way that life should and can truly be lived. And yet, and yet, all too often, we are scared to proclaim it, to share it, or to live it, either out of fear or out of indifference or believing it to be the work of the professional, right? But to quote the words of Rick Warren again, this commission was given to every follower of Jesus, not to pastors and missionaries alone. This is your commission from Jesus, and it's not optional. These words of Jesus are not the great suggestion. If you are a part of God's family, your mission is mandatory. To ignore it would be disobedience. No, this isn't the great suggestion, as some would like to treat it. And no, it also isn't the mission impossible. This is the mission essential, made possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A professor of missiology, George Peters, wrote this, God is a God of missions. He wills missions. He commands missions. He demands missions. He made missions possible through his Son. He made missions actual in sending missions. 
the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's the one who enables the disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's the one who will enable us to do the same also, even if we feel completely inadequate. As one commentator puts it, when the Holy Spirit comes upon followers of Christ, the most unlikely people become fountains of power. (laughs) Fountains of power. And no offense, but as I look out, I see a bunch of very unlikely people. Right? And I include myself in that. We, friends, are a very unlikely bunch of people. But friends, God can deal with unlikely. It's unwilling that he is unable to use. So will you choose to love him, to follow him, and to go wherever he might call you, going into the mission field of your family, your neighborhood, your business, your school, your book club, your golf club, your sports team, your gym, your grocery store, your civic group, your college, your state, your nation, or even another nation? And will you proclaim the words we proclaim each week? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The lost and broken world out there in need of saving. and We have the solution. Have it. Friends, let's live out this call to the lost. Let's go home, let's go out, and let's go off, and let's proclaim the good news of Christ, making disciples who make disciples as we go. This is not mission impossible. It might be improbable, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can achieve the mission that we have been made for. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit, and move in this space. Move in our hearts. Lord, would you invade our hearts, our very being, and would you fill us up to overflowing that we might be equipped and empowered to go out and to proclaim the gospel that you have called us to proclaim, no longer fearful of rejection, but emboldened because we have the words of eternal life. And there is a world out there desperately needing to hear them. And that world begins in our home. It begins with that neighbor that we rarely see. It begins with that person at work who is struggling. It begins with that person in our business who desperately needs the hope of salvation. And it continues beyond into our nation and into the world. Help us, Lord Jesus, to accept that with you, any mission you call us to is possible. Power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.